Amen. You can be seated. I want to invite you to join me for one last time in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I have, I have greatly enjoyed getting to know this book a little bit better and to hear Peter's heart for uh, the church, for God's people, and to see the, the truths that have uh, come to the forefront as we've walked through this precious book. And I am grateful you've joined us in this study and we come now to what we're, the, the title of today's message is a final word. These are, these are Peter's closing thoughts to the believers there and uh, in these churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. And this is his, his way of wrapping up this, this, this precious book. He's touched on all kinds of things, but he's, he's reminded us all the way throughout that the main focus of Peter's heart has been on how to live faithfully as exiles in, in the midst of, of a world where we don't really belong. And in our culture today, probably more than ever, many of us have, have experienced this and felt this very, very clearly and powerfully. And, and Peter Peter's words to those Christians there in the first century are just as applicable to us today. Maybe we haven't seen, and we really haven't seen the kind of persecution that they were experiencing, but in, in many ways we can resonate with feeling as strangers and exiles. And so he, he gives us his concluding thoughts, and, and as, I, as I, uh, I told the worship team this morning, I, I I had this outlined as, as one message, and that's what we're going to do, but as I, as I spent more and more time with verses 6 through 14 here, I just realized that, that Peter has so much, even in these final words, to bring to light, and we're going to do our best to sort of capture his thought and see how God's Word applies to our heart this morning. So if you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 5, I just want to read verses 6 through 14. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What a way to finish his story, his letter his 
pouring out of his heart towards these believers. Last week, we, we talked about elders, verses 1 through 5, talked about the elder's heart towards the flock and how the, 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 the flock's heart should be towards the elders. And he finished verse 5 by saying, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And here in verse 6, he continues that, that thought. And so that's, that's kind of where we start this morning. We're going to uh, begin with Peter's exhortation. He says, first of all, let's have a humble heart. Let's have hearts full of humility. God had, Peter had just said through, through uh, God's Spirit, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he says, now humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time. This, this idea of humility is saying, let's, let's submit ourselves to God. Let's trust in God's work in our lives, believing that He knows better than we do. Let's look to Him as our sovereign Lord and Creator. And He says to do so under the mighty hand of God. This picture of God's mighty hand would have taken the readers' minds and hearts back to the Old Testament, the story of uh, when God delivered His people from Egypt. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. That expression reminds them, and it's, and it's seen all, again and again, not only in the story of deliverance in the book of Exodus, but then as uh, Moses recounted the story later in Exodus and a new number of times in Deuteronomy, he used that phrase, mighty hand, recognizing that God was at work through His sovereign power to bring about a spirit of humility among these Christians. Just as the Lord delivered his people from Egypt, Peter wanted them to know that God would vindicate his people there in Asia Minor who suffered. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You're going through stuff right now that you don't really understand, that you don't necessarily want to be in, but let's trust God right now. Let's believe that his mighty hand, just as he was powerful enough to deliver God's people from Egypt, just as he was powerful enough to do that, Let's believe that He's powerful enough to bring you through the things that you're suffering right now. Let's believe in the mighty hand of God. This morning, how do you need to trust in God's mighty hand in your life? What situations or circumstances seem dire or impossible to figure out? Believe in God's mighty hand. And he says, let's humble our heart under the work of God, the sovereign work of God. Let's, let's trust that he knows better than we do. And he says, the result of this is that so that he may exalt you at the proper time. It's, it's very interesting that he brings these two ideas together that seem to be a little bit at odds with one another. He says, humble yourselves, but you'll be exalted. But you know, that's exactly what our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said over and over again. Things like the last shall be first. Scripture makes it clear in this oft-repeated truth that the result of humbling ourselves before God will be exaltation. The way to glory is through the path of humility and submitting ourselves to the work of God. Humility is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to being exalted by God. It's backwards, right? We, we feel like we need to, we need to push for our, our own rights and our own exaltation, our own credit. But here, says, here God reminds us that if we're humble, He will exalt. He will bring 
about the end that we want and we long for. God honors those who live with humble hearts. But he gives us a reason here. And if you're taking notes, this is the the next line down. He says, let's have a humble heart because we have a caring father. We can humble our hearts before God because we know that we can cast all of our cares upon him. And that's what verse 7 says, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now, I learned this verse when I was a little kid, and we often would, we would memorize this or look at this verse as separate from the context, as separate from the flow of thought here. But this is actually part of the sentence of verse 6. And, and the, the verb casting falls under the command to humble ourselves. So when we ask, well, how specifically am I supposed to humble myself before God? He says this, do so by casting your cares upon Him. And and, and this makes perfect sense. What do we do when we are worried? What do we do? What's going on in our hearts when we are fretful and anxious? Typically, we're trying to figure things out on our own. We're, We're trying, apart from God... To make life work, whether it's fixing our kids or trying to, trying to mend relationships or even something as simple as, as spiritual growth, uh, simple, something as, as, as fundamental as spiritual growth and knowing Jesus and growing in Him. When we begin to get anxious, when knots begin to form in our stomach, when we are, lie awake at night wrestling with things, we often have this view, whether we realize it or not, that we're in charge of making this work. You see, pride is behind anxiety. When we wrestle with worry, when we wrestle with that sort of that fear, what it is at its base is us not trusting God, us not casting our cares. So if we want to ask this morning how we can be humble people, we do it by casting our burdens. This word for cares is it can mean a feeling of apprehension or distress in view of possible danger or misfortune. I mean, we could stop and just walk through all the things that, that weigh us down this morning. Some of you may be weighed down by what people have said about you on social media or how you're going to pay your bills this week or uh, whether your, your car is going to start when you get out to the parking lot today or, or what you're going to have for dinner tonight or what have you. Like we, we have so many cares that can bog us down. And, and here Peter reminds us that, that we're to cast them upon God. That word casting is, is just like the translation. It's an, it's an idiom that means to throw something upon something else or someone else. It's to cause responsibility for something to be upon someone. Now, kids, if you have siblings at home, you should understand what this is like. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but we tried it in my house growing up, and I've heard it go about in my own home with my own children, that, uh, that we ask a particular child to do a certain chore, and then a few minutes later, I can hear faintly upstairs, hey, 
mom wants you to take out the trash. (laughs) In that moment, they have cast their cares upon their sibling. Now, not in a biblical way, not in the way that God is talking about here, but that's the picture here. They're trying to, to take something that's on them and put it on another. Now, God doesn't want us to do that with responsibilities that he's given to us, of course. But with the things that we're not supposed to be bearing, he wants us to cast them upon him. Now, we could just sit. This is one of those places where I thought, man, we could just spend the rest of the morning with this verse here. I wonder this morning what we might be carrying on our shoulders that God has no intention of us to be carrying. I wonder what burdens, what cares, what people inside the church, outside the church, in our family, outside the home, in our community, in our workplaces, what stuff has you weighed down this morning? This morning, God is wanting you to see that that's, that's pride that's at the, core, at, the, at, the, at the source of that. It's pride that says, I've got this and I've got to figure out. And when we step back, we think, this is, this is actually an amazing deal. I bumped up against this challenging situation. And we have someone over here who has said, I will take care of this for you if you just let me. And this someone is the almighty creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, the one whose might and power is beyond all comprehension and who has the ability to intervene in the thing that worries us and causes us so much anxiety. And we're over here saying, no, I got it. I've got to figure this out. And and where's that getting you this morning? Where's that get us? But notice the last part of this verse, casting, well, cast all your cares, not just some of them, all of them, and why? Why can we do that? Because what? Because He cares for you. I want to ask you this morning if you believe that. Do you believe that when you bring your cares to God, you are not troubling Him? You are not burdening him with one thing too much. Maybe you've been in that place where you've tried to cast a care upon a friend and you could just tell that they couldn't take it. Their plate was too much. Their plate was too full. And you think, well, maybe maybe I just shouldn't have shared that. Maybe next time I'll kind of keep that to myself. You know, God's not like that. God's plate is never full. God's never overwhelmed. You never have to find God at the right moment. God never has to have his cup of coffee in the morning before you lay a care at his feet. God doesn't have to make sure he's having a good day before he can deal with us. And if you and I think for one moment that we have burdened him too much. We are believing a lie from our enemy. Do you ever feel like your cares are too insignificant for him? It's a lie from hell. 
There is not a burden that we have that God can't take on. And notice, we can cast them because He cares about you. Notice, it doesn't say He cares about your problem. He does. But you are of what's utmost importance to Him. Not just about your stresses, not just your burdens. You are cared for by Almighty God. So this morning, if you're carrying something, God longs for you to lay it upon Him. Like, He longs for you. He doesn't just say, I'm available if you need me. He wants you to do this. When we're done here today, we're going to have some time to, to pray. And if you've brought a burden in here this morning, I know for a fact, it's scriptural, God longs for you to lay it upon Him. And we would love to pray with you in that journey. We'll be here, and we'll just, even, if, even if you want to just sit where you're at and, and spend some time in prayer, don't, don't leave here today with something on your shoulders that you walked in with. You have a God who cares for you, who longs to take that burden from you. We could, we could go on so much. That, that is such a beautiful, precious verse, especially given the context. Just remember that it's pride that, that brings about worry, and that you have a God who longs to take that, a caring Father who longs for you to come near to Him and cast your cares upon Him. The, the second thing that we see in this passage that we're exhorted to is, let's have a watchful eye. And Peter here says, be sober-minded and be alert. We're not going to spend much time here, but he, he said, let's, let's, be, let's be watchful. The, 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 the word there translated sober-minded has the idea of drunkenness, uh, or the opposite of drunkenness. It's, it's trying to create that, that picture of like, if, if you're wasted, if you're drunk, uh, literally, you're not a person who is going to be alert, aware of your surroundings, paying attention to what's going on. All of your senses are numbed and deadened to the life around you. That's why driving under the influence is so dangerous. We know because we're not, we're not tuned in to what we need to be able to do. Our, our functions are, are disabled <laughs> to be able to do that properly. He says the same is true spiritually. We should go about with an alert, ready mindset in this world. And he says, why? Why do we do that? Well, because we have a dangerous enemy. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Again, there's so much we could say here, but let's remember that, that we truly have an enemy. Satan is not uh, make-believe. He's not a fairy tale. He's not something out of a fantasy novel. We, we have an enemy, and we don't have time this morning to kind of describe his origins and, and what look into what Scripture has to say about him, but we, we do know that we have someone who's, this word calls him an adversary, an enemy. The word even has legal connotations, uh, thinking of someone who's bringing a charge against someone else unjustly. That reminds us of Revelation 12.10, where Satan is called the one who accuses our brothers and sisters, the accuser. 
He's active in this. He goes around and his, his goal is to upset our faith and to point us back towards our sin that we've been forgiven of or to, to, con, to, make, us, to make us think that we're sinning when we're actually not, to bring about shame and guilt where there shouldn't be any. We have an adversary who's willing to do anything. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't play by the rules. He's willing to do anything to draw us away from Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's much more like in your face and alert with, with temptation. But other times it's, it's, it's his, him at work behind the scenes to draw us into a spirit of apathy and, and just coasting along and vegging out and social media and TV. And, and before we know it, we're, we're way off mission. No matter what his tactics are, his goal is the same to draw us away from Jesus. Unless we, unless we are tempted, which, which we are, we just, we're tempted to forget just how serious our enemy is. Peter likens him to a, a roaring lion, hungrily searching for his prey. On the lookout, for those whom he may devour. Scripture tells us elsewhere how we deal with this enemy. In James 4, we're told to submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. James reminds us that we're called to submit to God and while at the same time resisting the enemy. Ephesians 6 reminds us to be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, we don't have time this morning to investigate the armor of God and the different avenues and ways in which we're able to resist Satan. But know this, that there's not one of us who is unprepared against this enemy. Could you imagine being a soldier sent to the front lines with no armor, no weapons, no battle plan, no tactics, nothing, just dropped in there. You figure it out. If we sometimes feel like that, it's because we don't understand the resources that are available to us in Jesus Christ to fight this battle. He calls us to stand against Satan. We can fight in the strength of God. There's no temptation that we're not equipped. Take some time this week to prayerfully read through the armor of God in Ephesians 6 and ask God to help each part of the armor become a reality to your spiritual life. One pastor says the danger to the Christian is not that he's helpless before the devil, he's equipped with the whole armor of God. The shield of faith will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The danger to the Christian is that he will fail to resist, that he will not watch and pray, that he will not put on the whole armor of God and take the sword of the Spirit. That sword, the word of, the, word of God, was the weapon Jesus used in his ordeal in the desert, and it's ours to use in his name. My brothers and sisters, we've been equipped. Let me encourage you this week not only to read Ephesians 6, 
but also to spend some time in prayer asking God to make you aware that, as Ephesians 6 says, our battles are not, are not against flesh and blood. The things that you and I go through during the week, the worries that we're tended to take upon ourselves, the, 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 the disagreements we have with friends or your spouse, the, the, the temptations that you come against, the, the problems that come into your life. Our, our battle is not with what is seen, but there is an enemy behind those things trying to discourage us, trying to veer us off tack. This, this is not, as I said, this is not make-believe. We have an enemy who hates our God and who hates his followers. And he's a hungry lion looking to devour you. This is not a game, my brothers and sisters. We don't have a passive enemy who occasionally wakes up and decides to try to do a little something, throw a half-hearted jab here and there. We have a hungry lion of an enemy who is on the prowl and longs to devour God's people. I say that not to scare you because our weapons and our God is more powerful, far more powerful. But if we're passive, if we're not expectant, if we're not awake and alert, if we're not sober-minded, we will fall victim to his work. The final thing that Peter's going to say here is let's have an established faith. Let's have an established faith. I love how as he closes in verse 12, he said, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. Let your feet be planted in this truth. And what he's talking about, I think he's talking about everything that he's been writing, but specifically he's reminding them in these last verses of God's nearness, God's presence, God's grace, God's resources against our enemy. And he says, these things that I've written, just let them encourage you. This is the true grace of God. It's not a, a false grace. It's not a, it's not a cheap counterfeit. It's the true grace of God. Let your feet be firmly planted And we can have an established faith because we have a God of all grace. This is a beautiful phrase right here in verse 10. If you're an underliner or a Bible noter, <laughs> circle this, underline it, get your colored pencils out, whatever you got to do to draw yourself some attention to this. Verse 10, the God of all grace he, God is, has a, I don't know, I should have researched how many, how many different names for God are in the Bible. There's a plethora, a multitude of names of God in the Bible. God is called all kinds of names that reflect his character and his ways with us. And Peter cho chooses this title, the God of all grace. Peter knows their suffering. He knows they're in the midst of affliction. He knows that 
They have an enemy that's seeking to devour them. He knows that they have anxieties and worries that they're tempted to hold on to. And he wants to point them to a God who is a God of all grace. Our God is not a God who occasionally activates his grace mode. Like between 2 and 4 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays, God is going to interact with his people from a place of grace. Wednesday is judgment God day. Steer clear of him on Wednesdays. He's not like that. His grace is not an on and off switch. As, as human beings, I mean, let's be honest, as, as parents, our kids are, are pretty clever and, and are pretty tuned in to our emotional states. And they can tell just by facial expression, sometimes just by the, the vibe that we're giving off. Whoa, now is not the time. Dad's in one of those moods. Let's steer clear of him. Mom's got that look on her face. We'll, uh, we'll ask her later. You know, we're, we're imperfect, sinful beings. We, we do this. But we never will ever, ever, ever come to God as His children and have to say, oof, now is not the time. Our God is a God of all grace. That means this morning, if you've blown it for the 10th time, that same sin for the 10th time in two hours, and you come to him the 10th time for forgiveness, you're not going to find his arms crossed that 10th time. He is a God who never runs out of grace, a God who never doesn't operate in grace. He is the God of all grace. And whether it's sin or whether it's just the cares and just being beat up by this world and the stuff that comes our way, he longs for us to come near, casting our cares upon him because he cares for us. Why does he care for us? Because he is the God of all grace. That's what he does. It's who he is. And in his grace, it tells us here that he will... Verse 10, restore us. Who needs to be restored this morning? Who's walked away from God in some way that needs to be brought back through a spirit of repentance, knowing that God longs to forgive out of this heart of grace? He will restore us. He will establish us. Who needs to be established this morning to be, be able to be Dug, root, dug and rooted, like, uh, like Ephesians, I think it's 3.17, tells us to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Who needs to be established this morning? It says He'll strengthen us. Who's weak and weary this morning and needs to be strengthened by the God of all grace? He longs to do that for us. It says He will support you. Even when others may forsake us. He reminds us that we're never alone. He will support you and me after we've suffered a little while. It may seem like the cares that we feel and the burdens that will never end, 
But he says a little while because in light of eternity, that's what it is. Even if our suffering is a physical suffering that lasts our entire lifetime, in the grand scheme of God's eternal plan, it is a little while. That's not to minimize what you might be weighed down with. It's just to help us stay in perspective. Whatever, whatever suffering we face, in the grand scheme of things, it's a little while as we look forward to the glory that be, will be revealed. In verse 11, finishes with a benediction, to him be dominion forever. Amen. He's the one who reigns. He's the one who can bring all this about. He's the reason that we can cast our cares upon Him because He's powerful enough to carry it. He's the, he's the reason that we can stand firm and resist our enemy because He's powerful enough to strengthen us and resource us through whatever we face. And He's the reason that we can walk faithfully with Him because He is a powerful God of all grace whose resources never run out. I said before, and I just want to reiterate, we'd love for you to, to come and spend some time praying or just stay where you are as we close. If the Lord has, has brought to your mind those things which you're trying to carry that He has no intention for you to carry this morning. And He reminds us that He's powerful enough to take that. He longs to take that. Won't you let Him do that? Won't you let Him do that this morning? He is the God of all grace. Thank you for taking this journey through the book of 1 Peter together. May God write these truths upon our hearts and bring them to mind and, and cause us to come back again and again to His eternal and unchanging Word. Let's pray. God, thank You for these truths. Awaken our hearts to believe them. God, teach us what it is to trust You this morning to simply believe your promises. I know that many of us are carrying things that we're not supposed to be carrying this morning. We're trying to figure out things we're not supposed to be trying to figure out. We're, we're allowing sin to remain close that we should be resisting. Lord God, I pray that you would help us see that you have all the grace necessary for what we're wrestling with today. And I, I ask God that you would just give us that humble heart to cast our cares upon you. And we not walk out of here with a, with a burden today. God, give us a spirit of humility that lays these things down at your feet throws them at you because you care deeply for us. May each and every one of us believe that. May we believe that we're not alone and that we're cared for by God. Not in just a general broad way, but that we could, we could, we could cross off the word you in verse 7 and write our own name because he cares about Jeremiah. And I pray that each and every one of us would truly believe that. Not just nod our heads to it, 
not just acknowledge that that sounds pretty cool, but to believe it in the very core of our heart. That you have this this deep-seated affection for each and every one of us that will never go away and is far deeper than we could ever imagine. Thank you, God, that you're the kind of God we can cast our cares upon. Thank you for the truths of your word. Continue to speak to our hearts long after our services are over today. Now the Savior who died, who lives and who reigns, grant you joy in your labor, peace in troubles, hope in despair, and faithfulness in temptation. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.